Hello, and welcome to the 73 Seconds podcast. This is a show for anyone committed to ending sexual violence, all about how to support survivors and eradicate violence. And on this episode, we talked with our close community partner, Shneel Vandenberg, a sexual assault nurse examiner here in Lake County. We work very closely with Shneel to support survivors throughout their medical exams, although this has been virtual lately due to the pandemic. Listen in as we talk about anatomy and frequently asked questions when it comes to sexual assault, answered by a nurse who works solely with survivors. To start off, Shneel, why don't you introduce yourself and explain a little bit more about what it means to be a sexual assault nurse examiner, typically shortened to being a SANE. Yes, so I am what is called a SANE, sexual assault nurse examiner. And it's kind of a unique specialization within the medical field where we are nurses who are dedicated to addressing issues that sexual assault survivors have when they come into the emergency department. So we're dealing with health issues, but we're also providing evidence collection. So we also work with law enforcement as well as legal testimony. So we can go back into court if we need to, to provide expert testimony about what it is we've seen and what we do and, you know, what we learned about the examination that we did that could help or, you know, provide insight into what's happened in the crime. And also we provide resources and connections to our community partners like the Zacharias Center. So we're kind of um, a bridge between the medical world and then sort of the other pieces that are part of a sexual assault treatment, I guess you would say, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Did that kind of cover it or... <laughs> Um, so (laughs) yeah, well, it's really interesting because with sexual assault, it's one of those things where the media has been a lot more, I don't want to say involved, but they've, they've been trying, I would say to bring more light to what it is, but it's still very law enforcement focused, right? There's so many programs and so many books and all that stuff about, you know, capturing the person and, and, you know, solving the crime, which is great, but there's also the health piece of it too. And sometimes for whatever reason, a survivor may not want to make a report or maybe, doesn't yet feel comfortable working with law enforcement or, or, you know, aren't in a safe place where they can even think about justice or punishment or, you know, whatever, but there's other options where you can still get help. And, you know, we still want to make sure that they're, they're getting that. And that's, what's nice about the health piece as well. So even if you don't want to go to the police and you don't, you know, even know what you want to do yet or how to address it or seek therapy or counseling, we can offer this service to kind of make sure that you're okay. Cause it's a kind of a, a unique sort of crime, right? Where it impacts not just your mental well-being, but your physical well-being as well. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to talk about today and sort of share is sometimes, or actually quite often a patient will come in, a survivor will come in and because of the nature of what we're looking at and what we're looking for, it's a really sort of unique opportunity to be in a safe space where you can ask those questions about your genitals or your private parts, for lack of a better word, that you may have never thought to ask before. And surprisingly, a lot of these questions are kind of common, but it instead of thinking to ask maybe your gynae or somebody like that, the sane tries to provide a safe place where you might need that peace of mind, right? Like it may occur to you like, Hey, what, what is going on down there? I'd like to destigmatize that as well. Cause part of that sexual assault, I think is that feeling that you're somehow 
stamped forever or you're marred or you're damaged or that there's some change that happens to your body that can't be undone. So yeah, so that's why I'm here today. Would you say that a lack of general health knowledge or general anatomy knowledge would be a barrier to why someone would come into the emergency department? Oh, absolutely. I think when you hear, and I I look at it, I try to think of it from my own perspective, like if, because I'm kind of coming at it from, I haven't grown up like in the medical professional, the medical profession. So I kind of think of it as an outsider too. Growing up, I don't want to age myself, but I don't know. You remember that book, my body, myself, or so like our bodies ourselves. And how do you just based on where everything's located, I don't know, maybe some people are more limber or whatever, but you, you just the structure of it, you don't know what it looks like, right? So if you hear you're going into the ER to see if there's tears or bruising or or things like that, that sounds very scary. And a lot of times I think you might not want to know, like, you know, there's, there's a fear component too. So I think a lack of anatomy, absolutely just, you know, I was thinking about it as well male, female anatomy, just the structure of it, right? Like females, there's so much kind of going on there. There's the outside portion, the external portion, and then there's the internal portion. And for a male, it's kind of more, I don't want to say simplistic, but it, it kind of is. And it's all out there as I'm thinking about, you know, I have a son or, you know, sons for them as part of growing up, they look down, boom, you kind of figure out that's that for a girl or a, you know, a female, I don't know that it's, I don't want to say discourage or encourage. It just takes a little bit more to try to figure out everything that's, that's down there. So I think it's kind of a scary place to begin with. I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. I'm just thinking of, from my perspective, it's like at the great unknown. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Are you thinking? What I would say, it? yeah, oh, right? I completely agree. Right. And I mean, no, nobody ever tells us this stuff like I who else oh man I can just tell you when I first started doing this the same thing and you know like the whole thing about the the hymen right I had a picture like I think most people have this picture of the hymen as sort of this like membrane that covers a hole and it's something that's out of sight out of mind so you just assume it's there until it's not there right and it's usually like if there's sexual intercourse or once you have sex or you're not a virgin anymore boom, it's done. Almost like, oh, okay. You know, when you unscrew like a condiment for the very first time you use it and nothing comes out because you realize you have to twist off the top and there's that little part that you Mm -hmm. poke through in order for something to come out like the salad dressing or whatever. I think that's what a lot of people think the hymen is. It's like the, (laughs) so that it's the freshness seal. You unscrew the top (laughs) And you, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that, that I mean, that's a great vision. Right? That is, yeah. And so literally you're poking it or something is piercing that or what it's poked so that that creates that opening. Right. And they think of that as like, that's what the hymen is. In fact, and this blew my mind. Like I'm a grown woman, I had children. And until I took the training that's required to be a sane, which does go into the anatomy. I mean, like, as you were saying, the lack of knowledge of an anatomy is literally, I was a medical professional in order to really study the anatomy. That is when I was like, wait, so wait, that's the hymen. So in fact, the hymen is always there. It's there's always an opening 
And the hymen is literally just this fleshy part around the opening. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like a scrunchie. Someone described it as that. And ever since they brought that up, I can never not picture that, especially now that scrunchies are like back in fashion. (laughs) I'm I'm literally today years old. I'm today years old when I learned that. Oh I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like she and I've talked about this before and I still feel like I'm learning it for the first time. <laughs> well, I am so glad that we're having this talk too, because I feel like you feel like a weirdo because how do you bring this up? Like even, you know, we all know women talk about all kinds of magical, mystical things, but even like how you can't just bring this up with your friend, like, Hey, what's going on with your hymen? Like it just doesn't happen. So it's kind of one of these things where I think so many of us don't know, but we don't want anybody else to not know. So nobody brings it up and everybody's just going around in a not knowing place. There are doctors that still don't know. And there are nurses that still don't know. And there are parents and just tons of people that don't know. And it's not shameful that we don't know. It's just a lack of education. And especially for survivors who maybe have never had, um, sex or sexual intercourse, or maybe young, young, young survivors. One of the most common questions that I get is, is this, is she still a virgin? You know, is my daughter still a virgin or am I, am I damaged or is something wrong? And ironically, it's not something that you can tell. And I was just kind of blown away the first time I I knew that. And I'm kind of like, well, why, where do we get that idea? Like, where does it even come from? And back to my scrunchie, when you look at the scrunchie idea, you know how when you stretch the scrunchie out, the opening gets big. When the scrunchie is like not stretched out anymore, the opening is smaller. Mm -hmm. So that's your hymen. So what happens in like a sexual assault, if there is injury, it's from, well, when we say tear, right? It's a blunt force trauma. It's caused by the stretching of that tissue, like stretch that scrunchie really, really far. And of course, if it doesn't stretch far enough, it's going to start tearing, right? Mm -hmm. Like think of it or like a, you ever have those old rubber band, not old, but like a tiny rubber band. And if you pull that rubber band too far, it'll start having those little cracks or tears. That's the same idea behind a hymen. So a person can be sexually assaulted and there may be injury to the hymen. And then within weeks, that injury can be healed or, or resolved. And your hymen is, is always there. There's a famous article. It was a study done by, I think it was Jane Adams and I forgot the first name, but uh, Dr. Kellogg. And they had a group of adolescents who, you know, submitted to a study to examine their hymens. And what they did was some said, yes, I've had sexual intercourse before. And some had said never. And they asked like other people, like physicians to identify the ones who hadn't had intercourse versus who had very few of them could identify what was different or what was changed. And that kind of blew my mind. Like, oh, Wow. So again, there's this, I think in a way, it's kind of a nice idea that there isn't this before and after physically of a sexual assault, the before and after I'm not discounting any muscle memory and physical trauma, because that is very real. You know, we, we know about all kinds of things that can trigger, you know, sensations in your body and again, muscle memory, but the idea that somehow physically visibly from an anatomical standpoint, there's no before and after 
just based on looking at your body. So whenever someone asks me that question about virgin, it's virginity is the first time that you have sex, right? It's like a consensual act. So that is not the same thing. And it's, it's something that you can do or something that you can own or claim it's, it's yours, right? The virginity, it shouldn't be someone else's to take. And that's just my opinion. You know, I know that there's different beliefs and things like that. And I don't want to discount that, but from a standpoint of like, aha, physical proof. Now you're not in that category anymore. You're ineligible. Um, It's not that. So yeah. yeah, we've touched on that idea before too. I know Christy and I have talked about it that like someone's their sexual journey is is what they dictated to be right. And so yeah. if this if there's an assault that occurs in there, that doesn't need to be a, a part of their sexual journey or it doesn't need to be the start of it, right? It's what they kind of dictate is this is my sexual journey. This is like the growth that I've gone through. Right. And and what's so interesting is I see it when patients come in. You know, there's a physical response when I get ready to visualize or, or look at that area. And that, you know, there's almost an apology, like I'm, I'm sorry, or this is going to smell bad or look bad or whatever. And I think so often for women, because you're like aware that someone else is going to be looking at that area, which you can't look at ahead of time, really. It's not like, okay, I'm going to make up my face or I'm going to do this. You're kind of like, look, I don't know what you're going to find. <laughs> so I apologize ahead of time when the reality of it is, is the average person can't know that like no one's looking that that your body down there or your body is like a clean slate basically so you don't have to apologize you don't have to think that you're like scamming someone or that there's some sort of branding I guess that happens and from my perspective, I think that's one of the great parts about a SANE exam is you're not having it done by just some random person that's just like, oh, let me just look. Yeah, whatever. But by someone that's sensitive and that can say like, no, this is how it looks. And I will say another fascinating part is there's just such a variety of shapes and sizes and colors and styles. It really is like flowers. Right? <laughs> That sounds terrible, but yeah, again, going into it, right? So the first time you learn about it, right? Like it's, so there's this, we take a 40 hour didactic training. And so as part of it, you're looking at like medical drawings, right? Of the anatomy. So you see, this is what the vulva is, which is what we call the whole shebang, even though usually, you know, most people say vagina, they mean like kind of everything, but from a medical perspective, it's the vulva. And that includes like the mons, which is like your top part, um, the labia, which is, you know, I mean, literally translates to lips. So you've got the outer portion and then those, the labia menorah, which are the smaller portion. And then you have the vaginal opening and then there's all kinds of other little small parts there. So you look at the drawing and the drawing is very clear. It's very obvious. And then we, the next step is we actually do exams on professional patients. They're called. So these are people that volunteer their services or they're paid to help educate others. And some of them, I remember the very first time that I did it, there were a couple of nurse practitioners from Planned Parenthood because their whole idea is right. Knowledge is power and helping others know about the body. Honestly, you kind of don't know until you actually do it. So I was just blown away about how it did not look anything like 
the drawings. <laughs> um, and each is different. And you learn more uh, of what normal is, or I put normal in quotes, I would say typical, by looking at a lot of them and knowing what isn't a tear and what isn't a bruise and whatever. You kind of have to be pretty trained to, see, to even see it. It's like, I wouldn't say microscopic because that's not true, but you really have to know what you're looking for. So the average person can't see that. So I think, especially if you have, like you said, like a sexual journey after, like, how do you recover from that? How do you, I think sexual assault so tricky because the healing process with a sexual assault, how do you, you can't say, I never want to have sexual intimacy ever again. So how do you do that? I mean, I guess you could, I'm not saying you couldn't say that, but it's very challenging. It's almost like saying, well, I'm never going to eat again. It's sort of like part of this human interaction that's, that's natural, right? So how do you change something that someone's made unnatural and make it natural? And so I think part of that is knowing that your body isn't physically damaged. Let's say I do see a tear. And I remember what I even, why I even kind of approached you guys with talking about this was because I had a patient, can't remember how old she was, but she was older. Like she may be like a young adult, maybe like 20 or something like that. And I told her, I was like, well, I was looking for tears. And she said, what do you mean? Like, cause I said, oh, you have a tear here. And she's like, well, what does a tear even look like? And I thought, oh, God, you're right. Right here, I'm just using this terminology and I'm saying that. And how would you know what that looks like? You know, she's like, well, I've never looked down there. And I thought, oh, well, sure. Why would you? Even when you do things like when you're washing yourself or doing the normal things that women do, whether it's menstrual, you know, menstruation or whatever, you don't need a lot of like visualization. To, to do what you need to do. So I could see where you're in that position and someone's telling you that there's an injury there. What the heck does that mean? Like what, <laughs> you know? So I thought, well, no, let me, let me explain it to you. And let me, you know, describe it to you and, and show you. And I mean, I, I feel like I'm just rambling and rambling, <laughs> but do you guys no. have any questions on that? Yeah. I'll actually ask one. Yeah. Which- could be a stupid question, but this is the what the oh, health sure episode. So, you know, I'm right? Gonna- what the <laughs> health? Yeah, what is that? Yeah. You had said uh, just a few minutes ago when you were talking about tearing, but also bruising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. how can you tell if your vulva has been bruised? Can it be bruised? Yes. Or are you just looking for tears? No, that's a fantastic question. So, I, and again, like the hymen always gets a lot of attention. It's like the star of the show, but there's so many other working parts. If you think about it, I just want to say, I just want to say that, like, I just keep thinking about, like, how many medieval slash prior century women had to go through. Oh, my God. Yes. From, like, some sort of (gasps) exam or whatever. And I just keep, like, this is blowing my mind. That's, like, it's not even possible for any of them to ever know what was going on. They're just, like, making judgment calls. This is literally, like, for centuries. This is what started this title, the what the hell, because now I can't watch those like Game of Thrones or whatever. They're like, oh, oh, it was something about some royalty or something. They're like, first we have to do the virgin check. And then they show the serious doctor and, you know, the sheet and they're like, do, 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 do. They're like, yes. And I'm like, what the heck <laughs> were they doing? Because back to my condiment analogy, 
if we think the hymen's that, it's like, oh, well, yeah, nope, the seal's still there, poke, poke. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm going to be the first to say it. I'm pretty sure there was some just like sanctioned abuse going on there, right? Because you're right. And so this goes back to, this is a whole other podcast, but it's like that patriarchal. So like, yeah, like they're just literally making an arbitrary call. Mm-hmm. That's what I, 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 it has to be, right? Because they're like digging around, like, what are you looking for? Because it's not completely covered. So like right. based on wherever you for. land is what you're going to, whether or not you're going to make this choice. Yes. So I, this is my theory. This is totally based on nothing else than my brain before I go to sleep and, you know, can't go to sleep. It's like, wait a minute. What if it's like a resistance thing, right? So like, okay. So sometimes your body can be lubricated, sometimes not. What if they're just like, oh, well, there's a little resistance there. She's probably not, or she acts like, or they were uncomfortable or something, Mm. or they got paid a lot of money. I don't know, but this is, I really am fascinated by that idea. I was literally thinking that like, what are they doing? What are they looking for? Like, what are they doing down there? I don't know. And and the more we have this conversation, the more I like want to know which I'm so glad we're talking about this, yes. but we're, the more I want to know about, right? Like Sarah's question. Yes. There's like, how does it get bruised? What oh, goes on? Yes. Well, see, this is so, and I, I like this conversation too, because these aren't the kind of things you can Google because mm. then you're like, oh my God, they're going to shut my computer down and I'll end up in the FBI. But then or it's like, you don't want to know questions. <laughs> you it's don't like the know hypochondria. It's like, <laughs> I have this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's really fascinating because, okay. So, you know, at least you have the basic workings of the flesh down there, right? It's highly vascular or has a lot of veins. We know what bruising is. Bruising is like an interruption of that flow of blood Mm -hmm. going through the little capillaries or whatever, like the vessels. If something interrupts that or interferes with that, that's how you're going to get a bruise, right? And so the bruise is like, think of the colors of a bruise. It's a little bit of swelling. It's a little like either reddish or purple or a little dark color. So same theory. So with a sexual assault, you know, one of the questions we ask is about penetration and it can be digital, which is like a finger. It could be penile penetration. And so if you think about it, it's a a trauma, right? It's like a blunt force trauma. So you bang your shin, you get bruised because the the capillaries are interrupted. The blood flow is interrupted. Same with that area. So if something is banging against that region, then it's going to disrupt that blood flow and it can be bruised. So if you were to look down there, it would look like a bruise, almost like very similar to the (laughs) inside of your mouth, right? Mm. So like if you ever bit your your lip or have you ever had something where you kind of I don't know like bumped it and there's like a little bruise that's that's what it would look like sort of that color mm-hmm. the flesh on the inside because it's the same thing that's also why it bleeds a lot so you're like well wait a minute let's say you are and it's the first time and you bleed right one it doesn't always happen like it could be someone's first time and then they don't automatically bleed it doesn't mean that they're not a virgin or whatever it just could be the circumstances of how it happened on the flip side the bleeding happens. Yes, because there's like a tear or tears, multiple tears, but what those look like are similar to if you ever had like really dried skin in the winter on your hands. And like, you know, sometimes you just bend it and it like opens up a little bit, like a little crack. That's what it looks like. So the tear can bleed a lot, but we're talking centimeters, you know, or or millimeters and much like the mouth, it heals very fast again, because it's very vascular. So all the, you know, white blood cells and all that stuff are working kind of overtime 
to make sure that it's healed. And again, if you think about it, you can have a baby and three days later, they send you home or whatever. And there's, there can be bruising there too. Or if you've ever fallen on like a a bicycle with like the rim or, or whatever. So yeah, it can happen, but it's very rare that you would need some sort of medical intervention. But again, it heals very fast, which is also why we don't always see injuries. There's another study or the consensus is that normal is normal. Typically within a certain age range, 90% of exams are no findings or no sign of injury, just because. So unless you see someone maybe immediately after the assault itself, or it depends on sometimes the age as well, the age of the person, that might be when you see it. But um, I never want survivors also to feel like that their experience wasn't horrible or traumatic or damaging Um, from an emotional standpoint, or even, you know, painful or difficult, just because we don't see injury too. like, we're in, in a society, we're so hung up on like proof, right? And it's not just enough for someone to say that they were hurt, or say that something bad happened, or that they're feeling horrible. We want proof. (laughs) You know, we want the visuals. And often, we don't get those visuals from a sexual assault. And so trying to make someone understand the enormity of what happened, but that also it's almost like an invisible thing too, can be challenging. So. I'm just, I'm, you said something about like, uh, maybe I'll connect this in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I I like weird. Um, Yeah. We we tend to get weird here. Um, (laughs) So like, I just thinking about how I, was taught and I feel like I I'm very privileged in a lot of the education that I have and like mm-hmm. the, the ability to to know what I know or right to have a lot of access to certain things but I was taught that like virginity like you would know that you lost your virginity like when you started bleeding like you right. know after sexual intercourse right and so sure. like it's just so interesting to me that like really it's just based on your own body and whether like how it responds to the physical interaction it really has something to do with what took place how it took place it's really just how your body is responding to that I think that's just so important to know like you said there's just so much um just because something physical isn't there doesn't mean that it wasn't traumatic for you right and I think that's it's sort of another kind of thing that blew my mind when I kind of thought of it in those terms too, because it's sort of like, well, why do we even have that? Why is that associated with it? It's one, we learn things mostly from the people that raised us or that we're around or have contact with us. So that's how we reconcile it. So it's kind of like everybody's learning the same thing and it gets handed down until it's challenged. Well, I think there's a certain, I don't want to say power in being able to say, I can look at you and there's a before and then there's an after, right? It's almost like a little bit of control, um, an outsider control, right? It's something externally that someone can see like, oh, okay, now you've had this, you've, you've become a woman, right? Because you're bleeding or you, you've had sex and then you're not a virgin and you're bleeding. When the reality of it is, is it, like you said, it's what you, your body is responding to and, and what it's bringing into, um, like responding. So that doesn't mean that you won't bleed. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Um, but it, it is a very 
interesting concept. I think it gives a little bit of power back to you once you start learning more about your body and, and what it does. And I think there's sort of that stigma around it too. Like, uh, I, I don't know. It's almost like if you destigmatize that by knowing more about it and I don't want to sound weird, but you know, odor is, is one of those things, right? Is like for a female, it could be a sign of something that's amiss, right? Or something that's like a bacteria. It's not like that you're unclean, right? That that area isn't, it's not that you're not clean or something's going on, but rather, oh, do I have an infection? Do I have like a yeast infection? Is there some sort of imbalance in my body? But if we're taught to not really think too hard about it or, or, or treat our body a certain way, we might miss those kind of things. And I think that's also why a SANE exam is really good. Like I said, where I often encourage like Z-Center, if you guys get support calls or that, where you might have someone that just, they don't want to deal with it. And I, I get that because there are some things that can be just so overwhelming that you think if you start dealing with it, that's it. <laughs> like you're going to shut down. Like you don't want to enter that. Don't open that door, just not. And so for many survivors, I think they think that means well, I'm not going to talk to the police. I don't want to deal with it. Well, going to have a sexual assault exam can be a way to deal with it in a safe space, but also a manageable space, right? Like taking that power back, at least, you know, your body's okay. Um, I've had patients that come in and you can just ask questions. You don't have to remove your clothing. You can, you know, one of the first questions I ask is, you know, are you in any pain? No, no. Okay. Then I tell them, this is what we can offer. And some of that is, you know, we can give medication. I can offer to look at you just to see if you're, you know, see if there's anything going on, or you can just ask me questions. We don't even have to really even talk about what happened. Like you don't have to tell me the whole story or anything like that. It can be a place that you can just get affirmation or confirmation. Like, you know, what happened? Like, what, what does it look like down there? Am I going to be okay? Um, does everything look all right? So yeah, I mean, we don't even have to, we never have to notify the police. I mean, I guess we're mandated reporters, but that just means like we would call to say, Hey, there was something in your area. That's it. We don't have to tell names, addresses or anything. So you don't have to talk to anybody that you don't want to talk about but there's a certain amount of power in being able to walk into a space and say, Hey, am I okay? You know? And what's interesting is I always tell patients too, like if you were to walk out this door and go to a doctor, they're not going to be able to look at you and say, Oh, I see you were sexually assaulted. It doesn't happen. I remind patients too to bring it up if they want to, you know, you don't wait around for uh, someone to say like, oh, this is here and there. I, I think that must be a, its own kind of torture too, to have something like this happen to you. And then every time you go to a doctor after that, wonder if they're going to be able to see something or, or, you know, we were joking about the whole web MD where I, I told Sarah that I'm like, kind of one of those, I'm, I would say like, I'm on the hypochondria spectrum, like, <laughs> Like, I wouldn't physically go to a doctor and say, I think I have this, but I definitely Google and think like, oh my God. And you know how you go down that rabbit hole. So I can't imagine sitting with that after an assault and worrying about some sort of something like, is this a whatever, you know, like you don't even know how to formulate that question. And then maybe be afraid to go to a doctor that might confirm that 
like your fears, like your worst fears, or maybe they won't notice. And then you think, oh, it's, it's in my head or, or that just has to be its own kind of, I don't know, like prison sort of to not know. And I would hate for someone to have to deal with that. Not just the emotional part, but your own body, like not. Yeah. So. Well, one of the things that I just recently learned following up with like your law enforcement connection Mm -hmm. uh, at at the hospital, for those of us listening, I would encourage anyone listening to check in their own state or wherever you live, because I'm going to speak specifically to Illinois, but right now the legislature is looking to expand what was at one time called House Bill 92, which was uh, went through the legislature in 2020 to definitely have more say in what happens with law enforcement. So you can, if you have a non-violent crime warrant, you are able to follow up with law enforcement or go through this piece by going to the hospital, making sure that you're physically okay, prioritizing your health, And not be afraid that any repercussions are going to come to you because you have a nonviolent criminal warrant out for something completely unrelated, which goes into a whole other thing. But I think that's very important for people to know that you can go to the hospital and get checked out and make sure that you're okay. And you don't have to worry about getting arrested for another unrelated crime or a warrant that you have outstanding. You can absolutely go and get yourself checked out, which is really important to know. Yeah, I, that is an excellent point. And I will speak personally that I am a total paranoid person where I'm like, you know, where you feel like, I don't want to say like, you feel like everything's a trap or it could be a trap, but I feel like everybody brings their own history or their own context to interactions, especially with, with law enforcement and even hospitals. I know a lot of people will walk in and be like, "Ugh, I hate hospitals because X, Y, and Z. So I appreciate that all of these interactions could be potentially traumatic on just a regular day, but then you compound it or add that extra piece of a, a sexual assault, you know, that is just overload. And I get that. So as you're saying, Christine, is it's very important to know that when you go to a hospital and you get that sexual assault exam, um, one, I want to make sure it's, you know, underlined that you do want to make sure if you can be seen by a SANE, specifically a SANE, because we operate within the emergency room, but not all nurses are SANE. It's a very special kind of approach that we have. So if you can kind of figure out if there is one when you go in, that's that's key because we do know all those little um, you know pieces. We know the law. We know, like you were saying, that let's say you had outstanding parking t- parking tickets and there's a warrant and maybe you're afraid to come in. We're not going to you know, turn you over. You're not going to be arrested. You can make a report without having to worry about it. There's also an option where you can have the medical personnel or the nurse or the scene kind of be your like intermediary. So I've had situations where they're in the hospital, have a sexual assault exam, but maybe they don't want to talk to the police right at that moment, right? It's like so much is happening. I can give, if you give me permission, and again, everything happens 
um, with your permission. If you don't give me permission, even like parts of your body, you can say, look, I'll come in, but I just want this, this, and this. That is totally fine. So it's kind of, again, an incentive to come in and, and at the bare minimum, just get some peace of mind. Because if you don't feel comfortable talking to law enforcement at that moment, uh, the nurse, the sane nurse can say, hey, I have a patient here. This is what happened. She's not ready to talk to you, but you can start your investigation, maybe get that person off the streets or whatever. Meanwhile, when I'm in a safer space, when I'm in a ready place, then I can talk to you. Um, maybe I can have an advocate or have been talking to an advocate to come up with a safety plan and stuff like that. Then, um, you know, you can, that can be part of it. So what's kind of interesting about the healthcare piece of it is, is that can be your starting point. I think, again, so often we think of 911, like that's your starting point where the health piece can be a starting point. It could also be the end point um, because like I said, we will also provide you resources or hook you up with um, advocacy, you know, the Zachariah Center and um, SANE's work hand in hand in Lake County um, and also in Cook County, parts of Cook County too. Um, So there's that whole other healing piece and it's on your time and your space. And I think I'll add to that, Chanel, since you did kind of mention medical advocacy, that is something, right, that Z Center provides. And just to give a quick overview for listeners, right, we as advocates work hand in hand with the SANE nurse. So while the SANE is going through your exam, taking pictures, getting swabs and whatnot, we are kind of there to be the supportive person who can really be there for whatever you need. If you want someone to talk to, if you want us to help you find resources, we're really there to support the survivor in any way that we can, as well as helping out the same to make sure that the evidence collection is as comfortable and as smooth as it can be for the survivor. Just like a very, very quick, brief overview of what that might entail. No, I think that's fantastic because especially with this kind of exam too, it's, it's such a weird thing. And I'm just seeing it from the different perspectives and like space. Like I'm very, like a very visual person. Right. So when you think about it, when a patient comes into the room, it's kind of a small room. And so I'm thinking from a patient's perspective of what they're looking at, like a lot of what you're experiencing is without you being able to look at what's happening, right? Like if I go into the doctor and you're taking my blood pressure, I can look at down at my arm and I'm seeing what you're doing, right? Or you're like, you know, oh, I've got a, a bump on my head or like a fracture or whatever. You see what the doctor is looking at. You see what's happening with the sexual assault exam. And if I'm looking at your vulva or your vagina, you don't see what's going on there. So when I have an advocate there with me and with the patient, that advocate, you know, they're one, they're trained to know kind of what goes on in the exam. So they're not also like, what is happening? You know, they can talk you through it too. I try to be aware of just little cues that the patient is, you know, in distress or uncomfortable or whatever, but it's also hard, right? I can't, I can't physically look at the person's face or see that their shoulders are like hunched up. And I talk, like if you guys have been in there with me, like I will say, okay, this is what I'm going to do next and that, because I do not want to be that person that just like 
doing things without, cause I'm, I'm always like, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? What's that? I'm very aware that you don't know what I'm doing to you. And you're probably maybe one, you may not want to know Two, you're trying to just get through it. Um, so having a medical advocate, they're usually there standing by the patient, talking to them, whether it's about what's going on, asking questions, or even something to totally distract you. So I tell people, I will tell you as much as you want to know. Like, so I can either be, you know, chatty or or describe things that I'm seeing. Cause I usually, if I see injury, I see it right then and there. And I can tell you, um, if you let me take pictures, which is part of the process, um, if you agree to it, I could take pictures and I'll ask a patient, like, do you want to see what I'm talking about? Do you want to, um, do you want to look at it? Sometimes they'll say yes. And then I'll show, because again, like you said, if I hear okay, you've got a tear, you've got a bruise, what the heck, but then I can show you what that means. Um, same with an advocate, like an advocate I've had advocates before tell me, um, not me personally, but they'll talk to the patient and say like, are you okay? Are you uncomfortable? And that's my cue to maybe ease up on what I'm doing or change um, how I'm positioning things or, or the kind of contact I'm making. And then I can too ask the patient. So that's another good piece about a sexual assault exam is that you get that support in real time. Well, and I'm hearing just the ability of the survivor to have so much control Mm -hmm. in a situation that they just came from where they had none. Yes. And so like for you to be able to go to a place and say this thing happened and you are completely in control of like, okay, so I want this to happen, but I don't want this to happen. And I want to talk about this, but I don't want to talk about that. And I want someone there to help advocate for me and the hospital write calls. And then we pick up the phone and we, um, we are there obviously now it's virtual, but we can do video phone, whatever. Mm -hmm. And we can be there to, yeah, maybe it is just to distract. Maybe it is to like, you know, help them feel comfortable because right. Medical professionals are for many people, uh, persons in a position of authority. And so if you want someone to help discuss that, uh, whatever your choices might be, you know, advocates are those people and it just, you know, overall things are trained to be able to ask consent for everything. Yeah. And that control piece is no accident. If we have empowered a survivor to feel like they've gained some of that control back, then we've done something right. That's the whole, you know, we go in and we're taught trauma-informed care, which is the idea that you're taking a patient and you have no idea what kind of trauma that they've been through. So just approach it as though the healthcare piece in itself is a trauma in a way, right? And like you've, you've hit the head on the nail. I don't know what kind of interaction a person's had or what kind of healthcare experiences they've had. And absolutely there's that sense of kind of power, right? The authority. And we often note that in a regular exam, like let's say you regularly go into the ER, you walk in, they're like, okay, why are you here? Um, You may say like, okay, I slipped and fell. My back is hurting. Okay. Well, you sit here, you wait here. We're going to call you you do this, you do that. Then we're going to take some of this. We're going to do that. We're taking your vitals. We're doing X, Y, and Z, right? Then we're going to wait for this to come back. And we're, we're doing this. And then these are your results. And we're going to come back. 
And so there's that feeling of powerlessness, right? Most people don't necessarily feel like they could even question because you don't want to feel like you're stupid or you don't know. Also, there's sort of like this unspoken, I guess, compact or this unspoken agreement, right? Like I'm the doctor, you're the patient. I'm in your hands, right? Just tell me what you need me to do so that I can get better. Well, the sexual assault exam tries to flip that dynamic. And we do, we ask you what, what you want. We offer you choices. We give you your choice back. The last thing we want to do is have a person who's in here, whose consent, the ability to consent and set boundaries was just totally just obliterated. Right. So now I don't want to be the next person that doesn't honor your consent. Right. So if we can give back, even for a brief moment, that, that sense of control or or power or establishment of your body, then that's what we're going to do. I sometimes have patients that come in and say, well, was I sexually assaulted? Well, I can't tell you that. I can tell you, for example, if someone was intoxicated or, or passed out, we've had those where maybe something alerted them that maybe something happened, but they're not sure. I can't say, I can't look at your body. This is another fascinating thing too, right? Like I can't, as a professional, look at your body and say, yes, you were sexually assaulted, like a hundred percent. What I can do is look and see if there's something that's there that shouldn't be there. Or I can tell you if there's injury. I can tell you if something is amiss. If let's say there is a tear, okay, that could more likely than not be indicative of an assault, but then there's all these other pieces as well. And then the flip of that is sometimes I don't see injury, but I don't want to say like you weren't assaulted because I don't see anything. So again, it's about kind of reconnecting with your body and being, if you feel something isn't right, you have the power to look at that and, and ask questions and that's okay. Control is definitely a big, huge piece in healthcare in general. It's not used to giving the patient that control at all. Everybody's entitled to the same treatment, no matter what your background is, your cultural background, no matter what your status is, your documentation, like any of it, like whatever you come in, you're entitled to know about your body. You're entitled to have control of your health. You are entitled to be treated with humanity and care. Become a Z-Center Survivor Superhero today. Superheroes are committed to ending sexual violence with ongoing gifts. Z-Center is committed to serving survivors through the pandemic and beyond. Your gift provides art therapy supplies, phone line access, self-care kits, and counseling to the resilient clients we serve. The Survivor Superhero Program ensures your participation in our daily mission with your monthly contribution. Your gifts have a lasting impact and make you a superhero our survivor clients need. Sign up at zcenter.org under the Donations tab. What I like about working in this field is there's so many people in the community that are dedicated to this area, sexual assault, sexual abuse, including law enforcement. But they have different goals. They want to solve a crime and they want to catch the person who broke the law and that sort of thing. So the questions they might ask might be very different and how they approach things are very different. Whereas from my perspective, 
I want to address the sexual assault. And sure, if I can help, if that's what the patient wants, you know, collect evidence to help that part of the investigation. And, but that patient's health and well-being is my priority. That's like above all. So if you tell me, look, I, cause I've had patients too, that hundred percent, they're like, I, I've been assaulted. This happened, you know, it's brutal or whatever. And they don't want to report fine. That's your right. And they may say, I don't even want you to look at me. Okay. Just give me the medication. Just give me plan B or whatever. All right, fine. And they're always kind of surprised by like, oh, that's it. A hundred percent. That's it. Yep. Because your body, <laughs> you have the right to have agency over your body. You have the right to make those choices. Yeah. And, and you'll see it's, it's fascinating because again, from a nursing perspective, we're even taught, you know, think a little differently because as part of a sexual assault treatment, we're considered what's called a, it's like a one-to-one ratio. So if you come in, you are assigned a sane nurse and that's it. That's your nurse. I'm not supposed to be in and out going to other patients, you know, popping my head in saying like, Oh, it'll be three more minutes. And then we'll do this. Whereas all my focus is on that patient. So that changes things, I think a little bit. So I'm not speeding you through. I never want, because we've all been there where you can tell they're just like, okay, are we done here? <laughs> so you're like, okay, I don't want to ask any more questions because clearly my time is up or whatever. It's not like that with the SANE exam. It is a good place, I would think, to ask questions and not to be made feel like you should have known. Like, why don't you know that there's two openings? Yeah. And I will say, even though sometimes the facts or the situations might be the same, the impact can be different. Everybody is an individual and our bodies are like that as well. It's, I don't know. I I think it's, I look at it as though we're the, it sounds cheesy maybe, but like we're almost, and sometimes we're the first responders for sexual assault, right? Even before they see law enforcement, they might come to the hospital. So those emotions are raw. And that's why we have that relationship with you guys to be advocates. So you guys also are can be like first responders also. But I want that experience since we may be the first people they see immediately after this traumatic event. I don't want it to be where they never see a healthcare provider ever again after that. Because I can't help but imagine that if you went through something traumatic and you go to a healthcare provider right after and that experience is traumatic as well, why would you ever want to go see another you know, doctor or gynae and you technically you could go a long time without having to see one. Do you know what I mean? Like, especially as women, you know, I know we're supposed to get checked up like every year, but oftentimes, especially with insurance, if somebody's not having like active pain or whatever, they may not. And the way our bodies are set up, unfortunately, like with sexually transmitted infections, you could have one for years and not even know. Right. But if you're, you know, afraid to go to the doctor, every time you think about going to a doctor, you remember this horrible, like nurse or, or doctor that, you know, was a jerk to you or rude or, you know, abrupt and and horrible, you're not going to want to go back. And I don't want that for a patient. So, yeah. So a little off topic of what you were just saying, but I've been thinking as we've been talking and I want to make sure we hit this point. 
that our conversation we're having for this what the health episode has been very vulva centered. <laughs> yes. And and I that's very intentional, right, on our part because as we were talking about earlier, because of the lack of information and education that people with vulvas don't receive right. in school and because of like the stigma around sexuality and whatnot I just I wanted to briefly create a space to see if there were any questions that survivor and actually before I get to that and the majority of survivors are those with vulvas right just because statistically in the power mutual piece I did want to leave space though and ask were there any questions that you have from survivors with a penis or intersex individuals that also come up where you're like, that's not a stupid question Uh, or like, that's good to know, or. Yes. No, I love this question so much. And thank you for pointing that out. And one of the reasons I have been, you know, jibber jabbing on and on about the vulva is just because from an anatomical point of view, there's just more parts to it. That's all. It's not necessarily like one's better than the other or anything like that. It's just like from a map point of view, there's just different um sections and different pieces and there's different um moving parts i guess like a lego set you know there's some legos that have like 34 pieces and there's others that have like 680 pieces um but absolutely from a male point of view um more often than not from um an assault you might also um and for just basically anybody, there's also, um, we look at the anus, right? So there's anal tearing. And again, that's a very straightforward in, from an anatomical point of view. So there's just the tissue around the opening, um, which is actually the anus. And then the rectum is the part further in that opening. Okay. So what we are looking at, and we don't do, um, scope or whatever. So if there are injuries, we're looking at the sort of the superficial part, but there also can be bruising of the anus and there could be tearing around that area as well. So we do look at that when there's indication. And going back to indication, I should have mentioned that one of the things that we do before we even look at the body parts is we have a questionnaire and you could always go on online on the Illinois State Police website, and they have a forensic section and you can look at the forms. And those are questions we ask, which guide us, like basically what happened and what what went where um, and under what circumstances. And then that tells me what part I'm looking at. If you have a penis, the injuries would be, there's not as many injuries, honestly, Um, but you're looking at like the shaft would be like that main, the length piece of it. Um, and that's where you could look for things like bruising or tear, not, you wouldn't see as many tearings, but maybe like abrasions, that sort of thing. Also, you would look at the anal area, but from the penile standpoint, it's pretty much like a couple of different parts to it. There's also the foreskin or non-foreskin, <laughs> you would retract the foreskin and that's where you might see some injuries, but that's also where you would collect evidence from. Now, as far as like intersex, that is actually things that we need to consider as well. So as part of that piece where we're asking just basic questions about who this person is, what's the circumstance, what went where, we want to know how you're identifying. And if there's any physiological pieces we should know about, because 
you shouldn't use a speculum, for example, on someone who maybe has had surgery, but let's say you have had a surgically constructed vulva, for example, that's not something you want to use a speculum on because of, we'll use the term friability, which is just like, it's really sort of delicate and, and extra sensitive there as well. So, and then also depth. So that's something that I don't want to have to have a patient be like, whoa, 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 you know, because I don't think anything that I do should put the patient in a position where they're the ones that have to sort of like stick up for themselves. Like that sounds, it just sounds like a nightmare (laughs) to me. So when we, before we even begin the exam, we ask basic questions to so that hopefully we can identify possible considerations before we even get to that part. Because again, I don't want anybody to feel like, you know, nervous about their bodies or ashamed or, or worried. And I, I remember I had a circumstance like that where by the time I got to the patient, the patient hadn't come in for a sexual assault, but some other issue. And then later the sexual assault was disclosed. And they were like, oh, can you take a look at, can you take a look at her? I'm like, oh, sure, whatever. And we were just talking and the patient's like, nah, I don't want it after all. And then later the healthcare provider said, oh, by the way, did you know that this person identifies as female? And I was like, oh, I did not. And nobody had thought to ask the patient. So we changed it because luckily now our charting is different where you can actually, you know, ask those questions. And once you ask those questions, then it triggers other questions about like body part considerations. Like for example, if you use like extra parts or binding or things of that nature, I want to make sure that I'm not misidentifying bruising or, you know, abrasions are based on other, other things. Pregnancy, for example, if you, you are transgender, you absolutely can get pregnant if you, you know, even though you've transitioned. So that's also a consideration as well when we're offering medication or prophylaxis or preventative medication as well. So definitely it's, it's challenging, I think, for a a survivor to go into a sexual assault exam. And I always admire the bravery and strength that it takes for a patient to show up in the emergency room to get help because they don't know what they're getting. They don't know what kind of training we have or not have. And hopefully I'm creating, like you said, I like that we're creating a space where it feels safe. It feels safer no matter what your background is, no matter what your journey is, your you know, where you are, are you like just totally, I've had patients that are totally comfortable with their body. They're just like, let's get this done. And they have all their clothes off or whatever. And then you have other patients where you're just like, they don't even want you to, you know, look under their shirt and that's okay. And I want to be respectful of each and every person's experience, but I also hope that they feel safe enough to let me or the other saints provide care for them. Because if that's, I mean, even if we do create a safe space and we make it non-traumatic, that patient still may never want to see another doctor again. I get that. I I can understand that they may never want to be touched again. Right. So this may be our one chance of helping that survivor. And if I can do that, that four hours that it may take and maybe get them to talk to you guys, then I've done something. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a great explanation, Chanel. I think the most important takeaway, right, that I'm getting from that in this conversation is that no matter who the survivor is, they can come to a hospital to get services from a saint. They can bring their entire selves, all their identities, and the sexual assault nurse examiner and the advocate who are there will be there to support them in any way that they can and help them. Mm -hmm. And that it's important that they they know what's going on with their body. Right, right. right. And that's where the, the advocate, again, can be very helpful because, you know, the advocate can be that person that's just like, okay, maybe as a patient, I'm not comfortable saying like, oh my God, this nurse is crazy. Um, the advocate, they can pull the advocate aside and say, oh my God, this nurse is crazy. And then the advocate can say, tell me more. And then then we can communicate because- you just don't know what the, the saints training is and the saints background and, and what they're focusing on. And, and a lot of times it's all about perception and, and perspective in that I may be thinking I'm coming off as like super awesome and helpful. And from a patient's perspective, they're just like, what is happening? And I think that's, it's great to have that support there. And I guess if, if nothing else, I just want to stress how unique that sexual assault exam is um, from a sane perspective. And I just feel like doing this work is so important because there's still a lot of stigma around sexual assault, unfortunately, not just talking about it, but people interacting with sexual assault survivors. I mean, honestly, so you could get, I was just, I'm just stunned. I have like a really, really supportive team and, and I love the hospital I work at. They're all very super awesome and supportive of our program and supportive of us. And they're receptive to education and treatment and how to treat a patient, trauma-informed care, all that. But there are still situations where they're just like, oh no, sexual assault, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal with it. Almost like it's contagious. And I I understand that it's, you know, everybody brings their own experiences and they have their own reactions and things like that. So I love that this program is one that you don't have to feel like you're like a pariah or that there's something wrong with you. And I think that's part of what happens with sexual assault is that unspoken feeling of like, oh, am I damaged goods or I'm, I'm stamped or someone can see it on me or, or, or all of that. So it's almost like I want it to be a light experience. Uh, um, it's not going to be, hmm, I think it's just going to be hard. It's just difficult to do, but if you know that you can get through it and, and do it. And there's some benefit to it, but you have control. You set the pace, you set what happens, then that's something. I've seen some sexual assaults where what happens is the person has actually had a tampon, you know, that they were wearing it when, during the sexual assault and that it has been lodged inside. And so this is another example of how, you know, healthcare is important. So I've had a person that was like, they weren't going to come except, you know, 
after a while, they realized that they weren't able to remove that. So they were able to come in and have that removed. And they were all you know, super embarrassed and super upset or whatever. And turns out I was like, guess what? Like, I didn't even know this, but when I, you know, conferred with the doctor, whatever, they're like, you know, this actually is not uncommon just in general. So again, think about something so like standard or typical that we have, you know, that we're supposed to women do, you know, they're sold everywhere and you might not even have a tampon in like, so you're not the only one that is kind of in the dark about some things or, you know, our bodies just are constantly doing things that we're kind of like, Oh, what's going on. So that's another, like kind of a situation where like a health situation, like you don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to feel you know, ashamed or just, it's kind of a weird way of asking for help. The sexual assault exam is a way of asking for help in a way that you still have control over. Cause oftentimes, you know, you don't want to feel vulnerable or weak and asking for help can be seen as that. But if you look for help, you know, in a sexual assault exam, in a healthcare setting, you can get help, but in a way that you're also empowered as well. So that's something to consider. And then kind of about body image. One of the things that I thought of is um, adolescence and teens, um, preteens. How we learn about our bodies can vary, but we know that in most schools, you're going to get bare bones if you get any. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of people have access to, you know, pornography. And I don't want to say unfortunately, but different ages, right? It's very hard. So I think it's unfortunate that a lot of times people are learning about their bodies through pornography, right? Or seeing these images that are on the media, which we know can be doctored or lit a certain way, or, you know, it's, it's presented in a, in a way that may be either, I don't, I don't want to say idealized, but it, it just, it's presented in a certain way. So what I see sometimes is a lot of adolescents will come through thinking there should be one aesthetic, right? So if your body part doesn't look the way it looks on the media or what you're seeing, you think that there's something wrong with you. So they might think like, well, this looks weird, or this doesn't look this way, or should it be this color? And and all of that, you know, sort of all of those questions, which I think are healthy questions, But where are you able to ask, like, what is normal and what is not normal? Sadly, at a sexual assault exam, that might be when it comes up. And I hope that there's a way that maybe we can learn about it without it coming to that. I'm happy to answer those questions, but I don't, I don't know what to feel about it either way. But yeah, it's kind of, I I didn't have that growing up, right? Like I didn't have, if I wanted to learn about my body part, I wouldn't have the same, I don't want to say resources, but the same way to get that information that we do now. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that is frankly can be harmful, right? So whether you're with a support person, and I know now COVID, it changes from day to day, but currently I think you can have visitors, at least one support person, and especially for sexual assault, you know, we kind of tend to make exceptions you know everybody's still safe wearing masks and and you know we're trying to keep our distance but we do allow a support person but even if you want to go alone that's okay too or if you want to go and then we call an advocate I feel like at some point I should probably not be surprised or caught off guard when I make yet another connection Mm -hmm. to 
how the dampening of female identifying persons in Mm. history or the inability of female identifying persons to attain some level of autonomy back centuries ago mm-hmm. or not that long ago, some extent today has led to this lack of knowledge where the three of us who are very well educated, both formally and informally in right now in this conversation, we did not know that we had hymen scrunchies. we didn't know that. And I just, it's so upsetting to me and not upsetting in like a, Oh, I'm sad. I mean, it does make me sad, but really it kind of makes me think like the fact that we were forced into this lack of knowledge because it was so stigmatizing to have certain things. That's, that's a frustration point. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes from fear. But I think for so many of us, we have also all kinds of emotions attached to body parts and our bodies and um, histories and sexuality and, and all of that stuff. So that when it comes time to educate a person, you might be afraid, like, how do I say it without being offensive? Or how do I say it? Like, if I feel something's dirty, I'm probably going to convey that to my child without even maybe meaning or whatever. And if it's kind of like, well, we don't talk about that because that's already bad. So there's already that like underlying message that certain things are bad or, or wrong. And so I don't, I, I don't know. I, I like to think that the best way is if there's that neutralness, like without, but I, I know what you're saying from like a historical point of view, there's pressure and stigma and control that kind of goes into that. Um, I'm fascinated because I didn't set out with my kids to be like, oh, you know, this is women and women are this and strong and females and and all that. I I never did. I've always just been like, okay, you're who you are and we're whoever and be respectful of all people and, and, you know, all of that. But one of my sons was pointing out like, wait, why are, why are there different colored deodorants? I was like, well, because he's like, what's the feminine smell? I was like, Hey, yeah. Why are girls like flowers or like, this is supposed to be girl. It's just, I love to see this new generation. I think there's so much progress in a way, like it may not seem like it, but I think even that we could have like a podcast like this, whereas, you know, in the past we might've been like a secret in a basement and then none of us would be heard from again or, <laughs> you know, so I think it may not be huge progress, but I think incrementally, I, I love this. I love that we can say this. And it's so funny. Like we even had, you know, got four years ago when the P word was like floating around and people were just saying it like on TV, like this, 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 it's like, Oh, interesting. Okay. We can sort of be at a place where maybe bodies aren't like, we don't attach a, a mood or a, Oh, how am I going to like, you know, like something's bad. This is good. And this is bad. Or I'm going to call you a this because that's bad. You know, like, Oh, this is, you're this kind of body part. And that's a bad thing. Like just, just make it neutral. Um, yeah. I feel like that's kind of the takeaway, right? Like if we educate ourselves and mm-hmm. if we encourage education and dissemination of education about 
health related topics, I feel like it'll be less stigmatized and that gives more power to people. I think so. And I think not being afraid, not being afraid to ask, like, how many times have we all said like, okay, this is a dumb question, or I'm afraid to ask, like, I, I still walk around half the time, like, okay, should I ask this? I'm like, I gotta, I gotta know. But I find that if I can identify another person that seems like they're not going to judge me, that they're not going to make me feel like inferior or stupid for asking the question, then I'm going to want to ask that question and I'll want that information. And then I connect, right. Then we have that connection. Like, Oh, you always wanted to know that too. Like, do you guys remember that moment on, was it orange is the new black? And they were talking about like, there's a, there's another whole, like, yes. Wow. It like blew so many people's minds, but how many of us were walking around not knowing that they weren't the only one that didn't know that. So I think being able to talk about these kind of topics with other people and being like, whoa, here's someone else that isn't going to judge me or have any kind of thoughts and just, you know, be willing to answer the questions or, you know, pose these questions. It's just such a empowering feeling and such a good feeling of community. Cause I think also what's weird is, you know, you're walking around with your own body and it's your body and it's yours and you're alone. So how do you connect with someone when you're feeling ashamed of your body or scared about your body or whatever? So when they have an exam, I, I really enjoy being able to shed some light on being quote unquote normal. Like people are like, whoa, what? When I first started doing this, I was shocked by how many shapes and sizes and colors and textures that the human body could come in. You know, we do vital signs. You could get five different people who weigh the exact same thing, exact same height, and they look entirely different. How is that possible? It's possible because we truly are unique and amazing and, you know, just wonderful. It's just, it's just kind of awesome. And I think from a healthcare perspective, if you can come from that that thought of that humanity and get your humanity back and not let someone take that away from you. That's going to be your little, I don't know that, that string that tethers your balloon. Cause I know this is a horrible and traumatic. And I'm sure there are days when people don't know how they're going to get through or, or ever see any light, but just to have your body and just know that, you know, it's there for you. And not to reject it and to try to maybe come together with it in some way. It may take forever, but it's not your enemy. I think that's, that's something good to remember, you know, and, and maybe not to hate yourself or to blame yourself or to feel like living in an enemy, I guess. Um, I think that's important and that's huge. And if again, taking control of your health and taking control of your your body from a medical standpoint even if it's a tiny little bit even if it's just a walk in and walk back out that's something that's a step so yeah go healthcare <laughs> go healthcare i enjoy this i thank you guys this has been so amazing and wow. i appreciate it and no, i'm enlightened you. cool yeah. 
Thank you all for listening to this episode of 73 Seconds. For more information on how to support surviving your life, you can head on over to our website at zcenter.org. While there, be sure to learn more about how to become a survivor superhero. Join us in the fight to end sexual violence today.